Hello and welcome to A Piece of Us, a four-part series from the Open University in Ireland in which voices beyond political institutions explore the impact of the Good Friday Agreement on arts, sports, the community and their hopes for the future of Northern Ireland. I'm Jordan Kenny, and in this episode we discuss the arts in a post-conflict society with guests, award-winning writer and producer Lisa Harker and chief executive of the Oya oh yeah Music Centre, Charlotte Dryden. Okay, so we've got two very exciting guests sitting in front of me right now. Let's start with you, Lisa, if you want to introduce yourself and tell me a bit about what you do. So I'm Lisa Harker. Um, I am from Belfast, North Belfast, and I'm a writer. Um, I've written books, plays, I've written for TV, uh, written a radio pilot, and I'm currently writing a film. Nice one. And on my left, I have Charlotte. Tell me a bit about what you do. Um, My name's Charlotte and I run the OEM Music Centre, which is a dedicated music hub uh, in the Cathedral Quarter in Belfast, uh, originally from Derry, um, but I've lived in Belfast now just over 20 years. So I guess I can safely say I'm now a member of the Belfast uh, community. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start with an easy enough one. Lisa, what is the most exciting thing that you've done in your career? Oh, I've just actually written and produced a short film. Um, I wrote the idea for the short film a couple of years ago and with working on BBC's Hope Street last year I was able to meet some people that I could recruit Um, so I've opened my own TV and film production company and I produced my own short um, and it's going to be going around the film festivals this year so I'm massively excited about that. And you've created a lot of characters that some people, if they're listening from Northern Ireland, might know. Tell us who Maggie Muff is. The notorious Maggie Muff, yeah. Um, basically, uh, I years and years ago, I was studying with the Open University and we were having an online chat with all the rest of the students about this new book that came out, Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, this was kind of before it became really famous. So I thought, I must get this book. Everyone's talking about it. So I got the book and read the first couple of chapters and was, I was pretty shocked that people were fancying <laughs> this guy, Christian Grey, because he was telling Telling this girl, you know, she wasn't allowed to eat certain foods mm. um, unless he agreed it. She wasn't allowed to go and see her own mother mm-hmm. unless he agreed it. But it was all to do with this sexual, you know, thing. And I thought, no, hang on, that's going somewhere dark. That's crossing the line. That's coercive control. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, nobody else seemed to be able was saying the same thing. And I was like, is it just me? So I thought, do you know what? I want to put something on Facebook. A joke with a jag, you know, I'm going to use comedy to get my point across, but I am definitely going to get my point across. So I thought, you know what? No wee Belfast woman would put up with that. Nobody's going to tell me I can't have a pasty bap. <laughs> so I created this character. I'm going to call her Maggie. She's going to be from the Shankle Road. She's not going to take no nonsense. Um, and literally, I just typed it onto Facebook. And within two weeks, 14,000 people were on the Facebook page. 14,000. Yeah. And I was on the front page of the Sunday World and Blackstaff Press. The, the book publisher rang me and were like, do you want to write a book? <laughs> it was like dream come true. Always good to be on the front page of the Sunday World for something positive. <laughs> yeah. um, Charlotte, to come to you, tell me the most exciting thing that you've done in your career. Oh my God, um, there have been quite a few since I started working for the OES Centre. I'd probably say my proudest moment is probably... Um, 
taking over the reins of the OES Centre because I started as the part-time development officer back in 2008 and then worked my way up to full-time. And then when our uh, founding chief executive moved on in 2016, I threw my hat in the ring uh, and got the gig. And thankfully, the doors are still open. Um, And uh, no, very proud to to run the OES Centre. And I think you know, one of my big achievements from it. I can't say I've written a book or anything like that, you see. But I, I've, I, I'm I'm very proud to be what I consider the engine room of a building that creates opportunities for, for other people. So it's been amazing uh, and very proud to watch the music community start to to, to, to emerge and, and flourish and, and remain in Northern Ireland over the years. Well, do some name dropping for us, Charlotte. Who have you uh, worked with from okay, Northern Ireland right. that we um, might know? I suppose a really exciting moment for me was um, we run the Northern Ireland Music Prize yeah. and um, it, it was a big moment for me to present uh, the band Ash with the Legend Award. Um, I was a fan of Ash when I was living in London back in the 90s. Yeah. We went to festivals and they were playing. They were a little bit younger than me. And then to think that 20 years later, you know, um, it, it, well, A, the place that I work for is named after one of their songs and B, I get to present them, you know, with an award. I'd say that and whenever we uh, we also presented Snow Patrol with the same award a few years later at a completely sold out Ulster Hall and it was just a really proud moment for me. I was like, what are you thinking in your head when you're on stage with like Ash or Snow Patrol? Are you really like pinching yourself? Yeah, I, re- I really thought, you know, there's, you know, 20, like I say, 20 years ago, I never thought I would get to work with these people and here I am working with them. Uh, and I'm kind of proud to even call them my friends, you know, to an extent. So, um, and just, and they're, you know, they, they, they've just been brilliant to work with. So yeah, th- those are very proud moments for me. Uh, and I suppose if... You see, they're all starting to come to me now. Um, but I think <laughs> That's one, right, we've plenty of time. We've plenty one of the other proud moments for me has to be, um, I established a festival called Women's Work, mm-hmm. um, which is about, um, you know, increasing visibility of women in music. Because I think Northern Ireland was, you know, traditionally pretty um, male-dominated in the music mm-hmm. industry. Um, and uh, we have a music exhibition at the OEA yeah, and the walls are adorned with all the great men and they are great men. And, you know, um, and that's just the way it was. But I thought we need to change the landscape here. We need to start creating opportunities for women. So we set up Women's Work five, six, seven years ago. Um, and, you know, we've we've seen the changes in the people that are, that are creating music. It's gone from like 15% mm-hmm. to 45, 50%. So we've kind of helped influence and shape yeah. and change the landscape. Uh, and, now, and now women's work is evolving into a quarterly event as well so it's it remains part of our commitment but that was that was a big moment and I think we you know I think we helped influence change in in how things are moving forward for for women in music and for diversity overall so you two are both working in kind of different parts of the creative sectors but both in the creative sector I suppose in Northern Ireland Lisa to come back to you explain to me a bit about what the creative scene is like in Northern Ireland at the minute for you and for people like you? Well, I guess it's thriving in the film and TV industry. We've got Hope Street, which is the new kind of crime drama. And there's another one, Blue Lights, which is another police drama that's starting. Um, Written by Declan Lawn, I think. Yes, that's right. And, you know, there's there's Soft Border Patrol, which was like a comedy sketch show. And there's so many films being made here now. So even for the creatives like me, the writers and things, there's opportunities, but also for the, the crew. Mm. You know, there's so many opportunities now to work with like A-list Hollywood stars that are coming over here and making films and it's just it's just getting bigger and bigger. And when it comes to then I suppose more the music side of things Charlotte what is it like in Northern Ireland at the minute? 
I think we've got world-class talent based right here in Northern Ireland and um, it's probably the most diverse pool of talent we've ever had and it's brilliant, it's great to see. Um, there's probably a wider spectrum of genres now. I think people have more opportunities through things like funding and probably better awareness because of places like the Nerve Centre in Derry and the OES Centre and the, the talent development programmes that exist now. So the, the music scene is emerging and blossoming. I think, you know, there's still support needed. Um, you know, only a very small number of artists, probably anywhere, but particularly Northern Ireland, you know, really get to the dizzy heights of the likes of Snow Patrol. Um, but there's a lot of amazing artists making careers for themselves now and touring the world um, and becoming a bit more savvy as well about their music. So, um, yeah, it's it's it, and, and also using lots of different types of creativity. So they'll work in film or they'll work in um, graphic design or they'll, they'll work in, in uh, visual. You know, there's lots of different areas where musicians are getting involved now in multiple multi-arts and multimedia um, and contributing to sync and TV shows and soundtracks and various other things. So uh, I see a much more confident emerging music scene. So with that in mind, if we were to go back 25 years to when the Good Friday Agreement was signed and even before that, I suppose, what was the picture like then for you, Lisa? I was in a completely different, I was working actually in a car dealership, um, selling cars. So mm-hmm. I have, I've had so many jobs in between. Um, but the thoughts of, I mean, I always wanted to be a writer since I was a child. Mm-hmm. I was writing poems about my granny's flatulence when I was eight, nine years old. <laughs> um, but you, you never really I'm sure thought, your granny was chuffed about <laughs> she that. She loved it. Yeah. She loved it. <laughs> um, I used to perform them as well on a Saturday afternoon. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was pie in the sky. It was like so, so ridiculous if if you'd have said, I want to write films, I want to be a film writer when I grew up, you'd have been laughed at. And I think mm. I was laughed at many times when I come off with things like that. Um, but now, like for my daughters, for example, um, that, you know, they're creatives as well. And it's it's not laughed at. It actually is achievable if you work hard. Um, so that, that that literally is the difference. Me and my children are having a completely different where it's taken me all this time to now I'm 45 that I'm writing films, feature films and shorts and my kids are writing films now and they're 12 and 15. And what was the scene, like the music scene like then, Charlotte, if you go back 25 years ago in Northern Ireland, you know, around the time the Good Friday Agreement was signed and even before that, what were things like? Yeah, well, I think traditionally music's always played a, a really key role in youth culture in Northern Ireland. Um, you know, it probably saved quite a few people during the Troubles um, and it brought people together, um, you know, pre um, Good Friday Agreement, um, the rave scene, which is probably more my age group, and then before I was that, there. Yeah, <laughs> I was there. Yeah, well, they brought, it brought people together, it did. didn't it? It really yeah. did. It took people. Where was the uh, best rave? Well, I mean, I went to a rave, the first rave that was called Evolution in the Maysfield Leisure Centre. I think that was 1992 or something that was right, to do with gosh. children in need. So it was, kids were allowed to go and I was 14 and that was it. It was an all-night rave. And then from that, it used to be in the Ulster Hall called Hellraiser. And there actually was an, a night at Hellraiser and there was a bomb scare in the Ulster Hall and we were all evacuated out onto the street and it was actually Carl Cox who was one of the big DJs that was world famous it's still a massive name yeah. he yeah. came to Belfast and he he just you know he did it no matter what and we all got it was actually came over the um, tannoy when he was in the middle of his set everybody needs to get out you know there's a bomb so everybody was put out into the street and 
everybody just started singing, dancing. There was people dancing on top of lorries that were parked, you know, like equipment lorries. And the atmosphere was absolutely electric. And then they were like, everything's fine. You can go back in. And we went in and finished the night off like nothing had happened. Sorry, that's mental. So <laughs> people amazing. were allowed back into the venue and then the concert just continued oh, yeah, as... Yeah, as normal. As was. Yeah. So I we were only that... out in the street for about maybe half an hour, 40 minutes to the police and army. Had a quick scoot around the Ulster Hall and then we were all allowed back in and Carl Cox went back on, continued on a set like nothing had happened. So I suppose that taps into what you're saying about, you know, music. Bringing people together, safe space for people. It didn't matter what side of the community you're from. I mean, I grew up in 1980s Derry and, you know, there was a very small music scene and I was just a wee bit on the, tad on the young side. So I didn't get to experience some of the, the goth and the, you know, the, uh, the live music scene of that time. And then I moved to London um, but just before I moved to London, I started going to raves. Uh, funny enough, just over the border at a place called Point Inn. Mm-hmm. And like everybody congregated there and we had like the best nights and you kind of forgot your troubles. You know what I mean? You forgot mm-hmm. the troubles existed. Um, and then, of course, fast forward, I moved to London and I missed that that period where, you know, you had the, the, the kind of evolution of the likes of David Holmes and people like that mm-hmm. running nights at the Art College and Sugar Sweet and, you know, and Orbital coming to play here and, and things like that. And, um, you know, Phil Kieran did a lot around that time as well um, and you know so the, the rave scene was and then Keltronic and Derry I mean Keltronic if it wasn't for Keltronic um, in Derry uh, it, it's a small town and so what's Keltronic is so that Keltronic is an electronic music festival and it's right. been going for about I think it's been going 25 years I think wow. maybe a little bit longer um, and you know it's it's an avenue for uh, DJs and electronic acts to showcase and in the northwest of Ireland where people you know were kind of forgotten a little bit forgotten um, it was it was an amazing opportunity to showcase and you know the guy that runs it Sturdy was bringing in acts international acts into DJ and they probably created one of the greatest party nights that you know the north has, has seen so that that those sort of things were happening um, and then you had, you know, the, the the art college nights here in Belfast. And then I suppose fast forward again to, to 98, I actually moved back in 98 and I started to see a bit of a shift and change in in live music and more venues, putting on more live mm-hmm. live shows. So it was... Um, it's always been there. Yeah. It it was always either underground or in the background, but it, and it was keeping people. Um, it was it was giving people enjoyment during dark times. So there's always been a great scene, but I think it's really flourished in the last twenty five years. Flourished. That's the word I want to use, Lisa. In the twenty five years since the Good Friday Agreement's been signed, how would you say the arts have evolved and flourished? Oh, it's massively. I mean, funding is a big thing. Um, There's funding now for all sorts of things, from theatre to film to, you know, just writing short stories, poetry. There's festivals, investment. A lot of companies have came over now from the rest of the UK, America. You know, there's people aren't afraid to come here anymore. And what would you say, Charlotte, in terms of how things have evolved and flourished since the Good Friday Agreement was signed? Yeah, well, I mean, it definitely brought a, a confidence in terms of investment. So, you know, but Belfast and, and Derry have both uh, grown as cities. I think we've still got a long way to go. I think, don't get me on my high horse now, but the investment in the arts is still chronically under 
funded and you know the arts need more investment given that it does contribute to peace and reconciliation and the economy um, saying that though I mean you know you've had the MAC was built mm-hmm. um, you've got the OEA opened the Black Box opened um, you've got the Nerve Centre in Derry and the Millennium Forum all these places where well the Nerve Centre was there before the Good Friday Agreement but um, all these places were sort of built in and around that time so you can see the investment that's come in to, to Northern Ireland and, and long way it continue and music has flourished regardless of funding yeah. I suppose that's one of the things you know there's a confidence in young people and young people I suppose are writing about things that are very similar are all around the world now as well there isn't that thing hanging over their head which is the troubles if you know what I mean mm. Some well 25 years you know you're talking about 25 year olds didn't grow up in the troubles so they're writing about things that matter to young people anywhere which is really important So what you're saying is that you know, 25 years ago, a lot of the music that was being released or written would have focused on, for instance, the Troubles, whereas now you're seeing it kind of move away from that and kind of different social issues, if that's kind of what they're focusing on? Uh, yes and no. I mean, obviously, the, the punk era, some bands embraced it and actually, you know, um, wrote about it. Yeah. Like the Stiff Little Fingers said, we want an alternative Ulster. Yeah. Other bands, uh, like the Undertones, wrote about, you know, about teenage kicks and, mm-hmm. and, and and everyday things because they were living the chaos on the streets. Yeah. So they wanted to live normal lives and, you know, and live and, and, and live normal lives. Um, and I think, I think in Northern Ireland for a while there, there was like a sort of around the time of the Good Friday Agreement, all of a sudden people didn't want to go near the, a political subject. I noticed mm-hmm. that for about a good 10, 15 years there, people were not writing music about the troubles, about politics. It just yeah. didn't want to be pigeonholed as Northern Irish Act, writing about, you know, the political situation yeah. or writing about politics. So they steered away from it. And I found that that became uh, quite obvious about Northern Ireland music. Mm-hmm. And then in the last five, six years or so, I've seen a real jump in young musicians writing about social issues. So you've got people writing about gender and sexuality, um, you know, women's rights. Mm-hmm. That's all starting to come to the fore again. About poverty, about unemployment. I'm seeing that now more because hip-hop, there's more hip-hop here and hip-hop always kind of addressed certain yeah. issues. Punk always kind of tried to embrace certain issues. So um, I- I'm seeing more of it now than I've ever seen before. Now, maybe mm-hmm. that's because there's a confidence that... Uh, like I say, they didn't grow up during the Troubles. They're embracing certain issues and we don't have to, uh, young people aren't thinking, well, I don't want to talk about the Troubles because that will pigeonhole me as a, yeah. a child of the Troubles. You know, people wanted to get away from that. But So now they're writing about issues that affect young people globally. Yeah. And the politics has kind of shifted to that. Yeah. And unfortunately, the, the theatre is not like that. It it seems to be... Oh, that's it, interesting that yeah, you think it's, it's different. That's the reason why... I had never been to see a play before I wrote my own play, um, except for like, you know, big musicals coming from London and things like that. Yeah. Because they were all about the Troubles and a lot of them was focused around West Belfast and it was all around that kind of community. And did that put you off? It put me off, yeah, because I lived in the Troubles and I remember the misery and the, the you know, how it was and I don't want to go on a night out, which are very rare when you've got two young kids and sit and be made miserable again. And it's very hard to write about the Troubles and not be kind of one-sided. Yeah. Um, and that that basically is the way that most of the plays were. The, really, there wasn't anything that kind of represented me mm-hmm. or anything I'd experienced. So whenever I wrote my first play, the Mac actually came to me afterwards and said, 
a demographic has came in here to see your play that we've been chasing for years mm-hmm. and we've never been able to get them, which was great. Now, it wasn't done consciously, but then afterwards when I thought, no, I'm the demographic, the working class, unionist, whatever background. Yeah. Um, so it's true, you know, that is right. I, I didn't, now since that, there has been more things written, you know, about the working class community just in general. Um, but I'm looking forward to younger playwrights that are, you know, 20 now mm-hmm. um, that are coming on that haven't got the experience yet to write for the likes of the Grand Opera House or the Mac or anything mm-hmm. to see what they're going to write about. And I really, really hope that it is about other things rather than this happened to us, you know, and and that kind of divisive theatre that one side will love and the other side will not. Would you say comedy is a device that we can use to kind of help us make sense, I suppose, of a past that is quite complicated? Yeah, I think it's the only way. Comedy and music, actually, are the two things. I mean, I used comedy in a different way to make a point about, you know, um, feminism in in the kind of Fifty Shades, Mm -hmm. you know, popularity. Um, And that was the only way I thought that I could put the point across to my own friends who were very much in love with this book and didn't really see the, 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 you know, darkness that I saw in it. That was the only way I could think of. And it's the same. I mean, I, comedy is literally, metaphorically, a vehicle that you can put people in and take them somewhere that they wouldn't be able to get to on foot. You know, like, although I, I do remember that even my first play, which was Fifty Shades of Red, White and Blue, the, the actress Caroline is from a different community. She's mm-hmm. from the Short Strand. Mm-hmm. And there was people that lived near her were refused, flat refused to go and see it because it had red, white and blue in the title. Yeah, um, And it took them a good lot of years, maybe seven or eight years, before they eventually agreed to come, come and see the and Maggie Muff play. And then they loved it. And, you know, but that's where people of a certain age, like around about the age of me, who do remember mm-hmm. pre the Good Friday Agreement. Um, and it's difficult to take that step and look at another community that maybe was cast as their enemy, you know, for half of their life, yeah. basically. Um, and then think, actually, and this is the whole point of it, they're just like us. Yeah. You know, like I remember going on a shared education trip when I was at school because I was at the girls model and we um, then had a Catholic school and we did shared and it really was shared education because even on the coach to, I think it was the Giants Causeway, it was one from each school. You had to sit beside. They didn't oh, so you allow you. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, there were strict rules in those days. You had to sit beside somebody. But I remember on the coach just looking around and thinking, there's the rough one in my school and there's the equivalent in their school. There's the shy one, there's the shy one. And there was I could oh, sit on the coach up, and do yeah. like for like. Yeah. You know, they are literally a mirror of us. Yeah. But it's like a lottery where you're born, your postcode. Mm. Um, you know, it's we're all humans, but you know, like it was a real epiphany moment for me. And I think I was only like fourteen or something at the time. Mm-hmm. But um yeah. I think that's why Dairy Girls actually resonated with so many people. At the um, TV programme. Because it didn't it wasn't about the troubles, it was about human relationships. Yeah. Um and it was done with comedy. Yeah. 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 And I suppose to look at music again, Charlotte, like we've talked about how people have been united through music, like the Carl Cox Rave, for instance. But talk to me a bit about the role you feel music maybe plays in creating non sectarian spaces. Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about how, you know, the rave scene, the dance, the electronic scene um, is all about community coming together. 
But music can be used, you know, to create um, a safe space. It can be used to, you know, support dialogue. It can be used to educate. Um, and then, but it has to be, it has to be pure and it has to be done from sort of the grassroots up. It can't be forced. And I think yeah. the most successful music scenes have always kind of like been very organic and have grown out of a group of people, whether they're young people. or And, and usually it has been youth culture and youth scenes. So punk rock really did... Um, you know, punk rock was um, became a fashion statement in London and Berlin, but people were actually living that anarchy on the streets in Northern yeah, Ireland. Yeah. And young people, um, you know, in the 70s, um, that was a way to come together regardless of your religion. And you go to the harp or you go to the pound and you watch mm-hmm. a band. Um, the same thing happened with electronic music then as you got into the 90s um, and, and beyond. And now today, I think there are still communities that are divided and um, I think they're the communities that we need to reach and we need to work with. Um, there are, there's still division, but I think one of the scenes that has started to help um, bring young people together in the hardest reach communities has been hip-hop. I think that that expression through lyrics yeah, and... Um, Artists know, like, I suppose, when you look in, the, like in England, for instance, like Stormzy, who would rap from, about yeah. issues to do with, you know, black his black community... Yeah, is that something a method, you know, a method that could maybe be applied here when it comes to? I th- I think it is, and I think it has been for 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 a while. We've noticed it because at oh yeah, we do a bit of outreach work, and we go out into communities, and we actually consult with you know the community groups or with the youth groups, and you know the overwhelming interest has been in hip hop, yeah. and they usually use hip hop to address um, the issues that are affecting them, and you know in communities that are are hit by poverty, it's it's not really the the other side that is you know the problem. It's it's poverty itself it's, it's, a, it's a class thing it's a class, it's a class thing class. it's suicide rates it's drugs it's alcohol and the, the, that, that form of expression helps them to well you know not to get technical but music classes and music workshops can um, really warm you up you know and you can start sort of like becoming a bit more uh, you get a bit looser as you start to spit out lyrics and um, so hip hop has been great electronic music has been really good as well you mm-hmm. know there's there's young people with a real interest in DJing yeah. um, but you know right across the board music has been a really great vehicle for us to to engage with with young people that are that are finding it hard what do you think could be done or needs to be done well, I think more investment in the arts uh, generally, but I also think that um, visibility and success stories always help. So I said we just talk, we were talking about Jordan Adetunji earlier. There's people like Jordan. There's people like. Uh, so for anybody who doesn't know who Jordan Adetunji is, tell Jordan's us a bit about him. Jordan's a hip hop artist, R and B um, hip hop artist. Was was the first black artist that we ever had at the Northern Ireland Music Prize, and he's mm-hmm. so, signed now to Sony RCA, and he's an amazing example, and a really. Uh, really positive um, um, ambassador, I guess, for the, the black and ethnic minority community in music, but also in terms of that style of music. Young people, you know, for a particular age, like 14, 15, yeah. are really into their hip-hop and their R&B, um, and he's a great ambassador. So we need more ambassadors, we need more role models. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're creating more of those as the, as music becomes more diverse over the, you know, over the last few years. So it's, it's just about harnessing um, the power of those people and, and taking them out and bringing them into communities, but also just giving young people access to 
these kind of heroes, you know. Um, and do you know what? It's another community for them to belong to. It's a separate community. Like, that's what I found in the 90s with a rave. Yeah. There was ravers and then there was heavy metalers. Yeah. So people were usually one, one of the, or the other. Your alternative tribe. Yes. And it was, a, it was another community. That's it. Which was better. There yeah. was no nonsense. And, and it was a separate thing to where you were born, what street you were born on. Has the Good Friday Agreement allowed for more diversity in Northern Ireland, I suppose, in the arts, but in society as a whole? Yeah, I think that uh, Northern Ireland is more diverse than it's ever been. You know, it's a much more um, multicultural society. Um, I think more people, you know, um, have had the confidence to come here mm-hmm. and settle here. And we've been um, more welcoming. Um, I think like anywhere we have got, you know, racism to deal with. But I think in general, we've been much more welcoming um, and open to new and different communities. And I think that's helped our communities, you know, um, to, to, to to kind of t- for a more intercultural approach. Yeah. So um, and those influences, you know, if you look at London, um, and back in the 1950s and, mm-hmm. and the Windrush generation um, and, the, you know, a black and, a, and Caribbean communities settling there. It wasn't until the 80s you saw all these amazing hip-hop bands coming through, like, I don't know, Soul to Soul and, mm-hmm. and bands like that. And now you associate London as being the most diverse, musically diverse place, one of the most musically diverse places in the world. Yeah. And it's because of that, that you know, that mix and that melting pot of people. We talked a bit there about working class communities. Has the Good Friday Agreement made the arts more accessible to working class communities? I think working class communities still struggle, um, but there are more opportunities um, created through the likes of the OES Centre and the Nerve Centre and various other arts groups that now um, have a commitment to engaging, um, you know, those who who need, who could do with... um, better support and so we have programs where we you know want to improve access so we make it we remove barriers like cost Uh, we actively go out and work with the community group and we don't parachute in or we try not to and um, again uh, sometimes that's unavoidable when you're getting very little funding to support people but you want to go in and have meaningful and develop meaningful relationships with, mm. you know, communities and, and youth groups um, and tell them, you know, it, let them know that it's there for, music is there for them, that um, we can provide them with access and we really want them to participate. Um, I think what has changed, but it's very slow change, um, but it, nonetheless, it is, it has, there's so many opportunities have opened up over the last 25 years. One of the things, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't think I had ever a chance of working in music, right? I loved music. I was a fan of music. I didn't think I had a, a snowball's chance of getting a job in music because there were no jobs in music and jobs are still few and far between mm-hmm. but the opportunities are better you can be a freelancer now you can work as a you know in, in backstage careers there's lots of events and festivals to work mm-hmm. in and as a performer there's a lot of support out there to help you if you want to improve your you know your your opportunities through you know uh, singing lessons or uh, doing courses around you know how to monetize your your money through streaming platforms mm. and well you can't really make much off streaming platforms but you know what I mean it's uh, that, that kind of knowing the business side of the industry yeah. so there's more opportunities through that kind of learning um but you know I'm mindful of a, a report I saw recently in the Guardian that said that fewer working class young people are going into the arts now than ever before 
Um, but I don't think that's a Good Friday agreement problem. I think that's, that's across the board. That's across the UK and yeah. potentially, you know, down to a, a conservative government and the policies. It's just completely crushing um, people's opportunities. But um, there are communities out there that we need to to reach out to and to engage. And if there's anything we we try to say in the OEA is. You can have a job or a career in the music industry. Don't think of it as, I need to be the next Gary Lightbody. Or, you know, um, what you can do is you can travel the world as a guitar technician. And it's an exciting job. um, And you can do that with a little bit of training. So that's the kind of backstage careers are so exciting. And I would just say those opportunities have opened up. Um, and we just have to make sure that more young people in working class areas are aware of those opportunities. Do you think we still lag behind, say, England, Scotland and Wales when it comes to things like the creative industry? Well, first of all, I would say we don't lag behind when it comes to the film industry. I mean, no, that's fil- my, per- like, in, you know, you would probably be better yeah. placed. But um, from myself looking at the, music, or the film industry, I mean, you know, Game of Thrones just helped the yeah. film industry here explode and you know you go to certain parts of Belfast and they're building studios all over the place so the film industry's flourishing that's amazing well we've um, seen like recent success at the Oscars yeah. and Irish Goodbye like, I think the Oscars were so good because like they had the feature films they had the shorts there was all sorts of different actors you know um, and I honestly I even put a, a tweet on about it I just saw, I just put on Everybody who wants to write or anything or, or work in the industry are buzzing. Like it was such a buzz to see them winning. They just won everything. What did you feel like when you saw, you know, locals up on the stage, the world stage at the Oscars? Brilliant. Like so good. And, you know, my daughter has just started acting, my youngest daughter, and her agent was there at the Oscars with the guys from the the, the short film, The Irish Goodbye. And she was watching it and I was like, there's your agent at the Oscars on TV. And it's so, like, as a child, to have that direct link to the Oscars, you know, and then she came back to their, their, they do a drama class on Saturday there and she was telling them about this one she met and that one and she was chatting to this one and showed them the photos. And I just thought, like, that would would have been just unheard of when I was a child, you know, so it it has opened up. Is that something you would say then has changed since the Good Friday Agreement? Even the likes of Derry Girls, I mean, that changed everything. Um... For, for the better. I mean, like to have, first of all, female-led comedy coming out of Northern Ireland, which never was was had never happened before, um, based in, in the Troubles, that wasn't really about the Troubles, um, but it was there in the background, um, was amazing, you know. But the, the only worry I have now is, has that ticked the box of that? You know, because at the same time as Derry Girls came out... There's more to be done, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I was writing a, a female comedy for TV and, you know, I kept getting, oh, but Derry Girls, but Derry Girls. So I think that after a period of time, maybe TV companies will be looking for, you know, another kind thing. of comedy that's not Derry Girls. But unfortunately now everything will be compared to Derry Girls. But um, yeah, it's changed massively. What does the future look like in the arts in Northern Ireland and what are the challenges? The future, it looks good. Um, they're in film and TV. There's never been more opportunities than what there is now. There's a lot of trainee um, routes you can go into through crew and writing and things like that. Um, there is more kind of um, academic 
like there's creative writing classes, there are role models. Um, there are people who are writing for TV, writing films, um, musicians that people can ask. And for any young person that is thinking about that, reach out and ask. Most people are available. You can contact them on social media and things like that. And I think nearly everybody would be delighted to give anybody tips and advice because we remember what it was like when there was no one to ask. Um, so yeah, there, there's more opportunities and there's more people to look at and you can watch, if you're writing comedy, for example, you can watch somebody who is writing comedy and see what they're doing, where are they going, um, listen to the likes of interviews and, and things and pick up things, um, whereas we never had that. So that, that I think that's the main difference, really. It's happening now and hopefully more will Come. This love will weaken all you know. That's it for this episode, and there's lots more to explore on our Open Learn Hub, which features music, art, and a series of guest essays. Search Open Learn Good Friday Agreement online to find it. Thanks for listening.